It really helps when you turn it on. <laughs> Tech 101. <laughs> it's really good to see you guys here this morning. My name is John. I'm the campus pastor here at the Center Church. It is a good day, and uh, you can join us after this morning to pray against the weather gods because they don't love us right now. <laughs> so, uh, But I'm really thankful that you made it, whether you slipped and slid into the parking lot or not. Uh, it's a great day at the Center Church. I'm really, really thankful that you are with us. I don't know all of you, but I know human nature enough to know that there's some things that some of us love that others of us really hate. You ever had that experience? Maybe even with a spouse or a significant other, it's like, wait, you love that? I hate that kind of thing. Maybe it's a movie or something else. Or one of the ones in our home is cilantro. I don't know if you're a big uh, Mexican food person. I love Mexican food and I love cilantro and pretty much everything Mexican or even Hispanic or Latin related. And Lindsay thinks cilantro tastes a lot more like soap than it does a good herb. Anyone else feel like that? Like you're like, I just do not like cilantro in my food. Like get that stuff out of there. How about this one, 28th Street. Some of you love 28th Street and some of you despise 28th Street. Like some of you are like, but wait, 28th, Krispy Kreme, Woodland Mall, the movies, on the border, Starbucks, everything is right there. I love going to 28th. Others of you are like, I literally try to avoid it like the plague. Like I just don't like big roads. I don't like big traffic jams. I don't love any of that stuff. You avoid 28th Street. Another one's kind of funny to me is physical exercise, also known as running. Some of you like love to run and enjoy that process or going to the gym. Others of you despise running. You're like, I only run if I'm being chased with a gun. Like that's the only time I ever run away. Um, I'm looking at some of you directly. Uh, some of you have said that to me. I just think it's so funny that there's something some of us can really love that others of us really hate and despise. Now, spiritually speaking, there may be things in your own life that you really love that you should hate or things that you really hate that maybe you should love. But I wanna wrestle with this question today through a familiar story of a guy that you probably think you know a lot about that maybe you don't know as much about as you really do. But I wanna talk about this question, what do you do when God loves the people you hate? What do you do? There's a spiritual dilemma within all of us because of the sin-stained, broken world that we live in of what do we do when God loves the very people that we strongly dislike, AKA we hate them, like we wish they weren't in our lives. Now that for you could be a, a family member, a distant family member. It could be for you a, a previous employer. It could be for you a current coworker or a current student that you just wish my life would be better if you were not in it. Like that is kind of how we're gonna define hate today through that lens. But what do you do when God loves the people you hate? I think one of the very best, if not the best stories of helping us work through this very profound question is a guy named Jonah. Now, all of you, when I say Jonah, if you've been around church for a day or more, uh, are familiar with Jonah because you think of a fish and you think of whales and you think of how in the world did a guy write a prayer in the middle of a whale's belly? And I'm not really sure, but uh, there are a couple, just quick search on Google, Google, you find three different book covers and they all look just like this. Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the big fish. Let's go to the next one, Jonah and the whale. Like he, they really got creative on those titles. But everyone, when you think about Jonah, that's initially what we think about. But I wanna dive right into the story because he better than anybody can identify with our own wrestling of the question, what do you do when God loves the people that you hate? 
And Jonah 1, verse 1, we're going to start right there. So if you have a Bible device, I'm going to invite you to pull it out, even something to take notes with. You never know what God may say to you in our time together. Jonah 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Number one lesson in the Bible, don't run from the Lord. Like that, when he tells you to do something, just do it. Your life will be a thousand percent easier and Jonah does not do that. He runs the opposite direction. Now Jonah was a prophet. Prophets were given a mantle by God to hear God's words and to proclaim God's words to a certain group of people. Jonah in this story is a bad prophet. Jonah literally does the opposite. He hears God's words and decides to go the opposite direction. Now, you may not be familiar with Tarshish was, just like I was not familiar. Here's a quick map, quick map of where he was supposed to go, Nineveh, and where he actually went, Tarshish. Like, there's some distance there. That's like equivalent to, to God giving you a word for the people in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which if you've ever been in Minnesota, you know they may need a word from God right now. Like, this is normal weather for them. But God says, go to Minnesota. Go to Minneapolis. I want you to go there. And you're like, uh, no, I'm going to go to Juneau, Alaska. <laughs> like, that sounds way better. Like, that's about the same distance equivalent as Joppa to Nineveh as Joppa to Tarshish. He goes the exact opposite direction. And Jonah's main problem, as we find out through the story, is that Jonah hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's like, man, I don't understand why you're so gracious and compassionate. I wish you hated the people I hate as much as I hated them. <laughs> like that's Jonah's core problem. And we have all been there. We all have people in our life that we say, God, I know you love everybody, but are you sure you love that person? Like, are you positive that you love that person with the same kind of love you love me? Uh, and I think that's why what we sing is so powerful. It reminds us of the truth. But after Jonah runs away, he, he finds himself on this boat to Tarshish. He's with a group of sailors and they encounter an incredible storm. And Jonah's kind of trying to figure out, wait, what do I do in this moment? Like, surely God is punishing me or he's disciplined me, disciplining me at the least for not doing what he asked me to do. I'm running the opposite direction. And so his great conclusion is, well, God is mad at me, so just throw me overboard. Let's figure out if suicide will help this equation. He literally thinks if they toss me overboard, it's a great storm, I'll just die and God won't be mad at me and you guys will be covered, everything will be great. And so they throw him overboard and what we do know of this story from those children's book covers is that Jonah gets swallowed up by a whale. God intervenes and doesn't allow him to do that. Now, as a caveat to the rest of our time in Jonah, the verses that speak about the great fish are two of the entire book of Jonah. And so if you know anything from studying scripture, like some of you are really good at, you know that don't major on the minors. And I want to remind us of that right now. Don't major on the minors. Don't look at something that's got two verses and say, that's obviously what the book is about. So kind of put that to the side for a moment and let's dig into the real question. What do you do when God loves the people you hate? It leads Jonah to be thrown overboard and captured by the whale. And in this fish... Jonah uh, kind of writes this poem or a prayer, and you see it in chapter two. If you've got your Bibles, you have it open. It's probably only a couple pages. Chapter two, verse seven, just a, just a snippet of this prayer. When my life was ebbing away, 
I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who claim to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. He's probably thinking about Nineveh right here. People that were, this was known as an incredibly wicked city. I mean, oppressive, worshiping idols, far from God. Verse nine, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I'll make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah's good for now. He's kind of had this semi-repentant moment. He feels a little bit of shallow sorrow and decides, you know what, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh, God. I'll do what you say. After going the opposite direction, getting swallowed by a big fish and then spit out on the land, I guess I'll do what you're asking me to do. That's Jonah's disposition. You fast forward and Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh. He proclaims the word of the Lord, basically says as short as possible, hey guys, if you don't repent, you're gonna die. See you later. Like that's literally Jonah's words. He's like, you don't repent. Destruction's coming to your city. Uh, you guys figured it out. And then he walks off. And the people, surprisingly, they repent. They turn. And all the people in Nineveh, including the animals, which I'm not sure how that works. If you have dogs, maybe you know better than me. Even the animals are repentant. Like they're a part of this process. Everybody's like, yes, we will follow the God of Israel. We are going the wrong way. We're gonna turn and walk a different way. And they repent. And in verse 10, God sees what they do in chapter 3, verse 10, and he relents. He doesn't bring justice and calamity upon this great city, over 100,000 people. Like, he turns away and says, you know what? Because you repented and turned, I'm going to have compassion on you. Fast forward to chapter 4, the very last chapter in Jonah. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to read along with me. We get a picture of angry Jonah. Verse 1 in chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Oh, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's kind of a drama queen, if you haven't noticed that. Like, there's at least three or four times Jonah's like, God, just take me away. I can't do this anymore. Like, and he's off the hook here. He did what God asked him to do. And God is only being gracious and compassionate like he promised. And Jonah's mad at that. Jonah wishes he was a little bit more like himself, that he hated the people that Jonah hated. But God doesn't. He loves them. Verse 4, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I can just picture Jonah, like, arms crossed, like, ha, 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 ha. You guys didn't really repent. You didn't really turn. I mean, God's going to smite this. I'm going to watch it. It's going to be, like, the best James Bond movie ever. Like, the biggest explosion is about to happen. He's just waiting for this moment. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So Jonah's pretty ticked off at God. He's mad that 120,000 people are about to get saved from destruction, but he's pretty happy about this plant. The succulent is treating him well. Like he's very excited about the plant. Verse seven, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. There it is. There's it. 
there that thing is again. Then he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Jonah's like, this is like the last time, God. Please spare me from this horrible situation I'm in. Verse 10, the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, but you didn't tend it. Tend it. You did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many animals? And then the book's over. <laughs> the story is wrapped up. Just leaves on a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We're not really sure if there's any other mention of Nineveh uh, beyond this. It just kind of ends. And it leaves you as a reader with that question stirring in your own heart. What do you do when God loves the people you hate? Jonah did not want that. Jonah wanted God to not be compassionate, to not be merciful, to rage with the same kind of rage that Jonah had when it came to this wicked city of Nineveh. But he doesn't. And where Jonah overlooks the city with contempt, and maybe you've had moments like that before, where you're looking out over a situation and you're just angry. Or you look at uh, an injustice in our world and you say, God, what are you doing? Are you here? Do you hear me? Maybe you have a tough situation at work right now and you're wishing that God would just step in and get that person fired or, or get them reported to HR and he hasn't done that yet and you're still waiting in this awkward tension and maybe even conflict with them. And you start to dislike and it turns to hate, which turns to bitter and resentment feelings towards them and you just wish that they were out of the picture. Jonah's sitting there just overlooking the city with contempt. Now, it's Palm Sunday. Now, we don't have palms all over the place, and maybe you grew up in a church where that was a big deal, but I want to talk about Palm Sunday just for one moment and show you how Jonah's story connects to Jesus, how it connects to this day in specific, and how Jesus shows an alternate way to wrestle with the question, what do you do when God loves the people you hate? In Luke 19.41, we catch a glimpse of a story. See, Jesus is coming into the city. And everyone in Israel and everyone in Jerusalem was thinking, this is it. Now, they had been oppressed for hundreds of years under the Roman Empire. The persecution and harassment was real. They had friends torn out of their homes, families ripped apart, economic systems broken down within their culture. And so they decided to rise up, this nationalist movement called the Zealots. And their signal, their kind of symbol for the movement was a palm branch. And they decided this palm branch is going to identify us as people that want to rise up against the Romans and overthrow. And man, when the Messiah comes, he's going to drop down thunder and fire, and we're going to be good. We're going to rise to power. They even put it on their coins, this little palm branch that we often think about when it comes to Palm Sunday. In Luke 19, we see Jesus come into the city. People are laying down palm branches, laying down their coats as a sign of honor. But in the back of their minds, they're thinking, this guy's going to make Israel great again. Like we are going to finally take back what is ours. We're going to make this nation the way we want it to be. And we're going to rise to power. But in Luke 19.41, Jesus does something that no one expected. Luke 19.41, this is what we read. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. In other gospels, it's actually the shortest verse in many of our Bibles. Jesus wept. This is the very story. And this is happening on Palm Sunday. 
the day we look at today, just like Jonah overlooked Nineveh, crossed arms waiting for destruction and and full of contempt in his heart, Jesus overlooks the city, tears in his eyes, ruled and driven by compassion for people who are far from him. They didn't understand what he really came. They didn't understand the kingdom. They clearly missed the boat on what his whole message was and just were waiting for him to overthrow and become the military leader that they always wanted, but he doesn't do it. He goes to a cross. And one of the most frustrating things about the gospel is that he just takes it. He goes to a cross. He doesn't defend himself. And the only words he utters and the only prayer that we have recorded is a quotation of a psalm that just talks about forgiveness. That's it. Jesus loves the people that we often hate. We wish that he destroyed them, but he doesn't. And just like Jonah, we catch ourselves in that very tension man, I wish you would do the world the way I want it to be done. I wish you'd bring justice, Jesus, the way I want justice to be done. He doesn't do it. Jesus weeps. Why does he weep? Because his heart is moved with compassion. The word in the Greek is is really more to do with our bowels than any part of our body. It's like this very deep gut level compassion that drives him to sit there and weep over all the Jonas in Jerusalem. When you look at our world, When you look at your own family, when you look at your workplace, when you look at the school you go to, what do you think Jesus weeps over? What are the things that in your life break his heart? What are the things in your world that make you wonder, I wonder how Jesus would view this? I wonder what kind of compassion Jesus would have in this situation because we know that throughout the scriptures, Jesus' heart is near to the people who are far from him. His heart breaks when when there's seats around you that could be full of people that love him and know him. They're not full. His heart breaks when there's people in our community that don't know that Jesus is for them and that full life is theirs if only they accepted an invitation that they have not yet heard of. His heart breaks and it weeps, leads him to the cross. If you and I wanna really figure out how to turn the corner in our own lives, this is all it takes. It's the most simple and yet challenging thing you may ever do in your life. And it's this, you have to become obedient to love others, whoever the others are. I'm not talking about the easy people. I'm not talking about the coworker you already like and are best friends with. I'm not talking about the people you already hang out with on the weekend. I'm talking about the people who are the others, the people who you don't necessarily associate with, the people that maybe even has come out of your mouth that you hate them. There's bitterness in your heart towards them. There's resentment. There's unforgiveness bred in your heart towards them. Becoming obedient to love them like Jesus loves them. I think there's a lot of challenges for us in this. And maybe even in our culture, there's more than there ever have been. I mean, certainly we wrestle with similar things that Jonah did. We we may uh, wrestle with specific individuals or people groups that we feel like are, are far off from the grace of God. We have no interest in bringing them back. And I, I personally was confronted with this uh, just this Friday night. We got, Lindsay and I got invited to a really nice dinner at Ruth's Chris. And if you've ever been there, that place is legit. Like, now you're looking at me like, wait, I thought you don't eat meat. I thought you're one of those weird people. And that is true. Uh, but Ruth's Chris has a lot of good stuff there besides that. And so Lindsay and I decided to go with friends and they were getting like 600 ounce steaks. And so we were having a great time. I'm just kidding. You can't really get that there, but close, like close. You can pay for what it would be for 600 ounce steak in a normal restaurant, but it's a great place. Really, really nice. So they invited us and we were kind of honored and humbled to go. We're like, yeah, like we'll go with you. So we went there. 
Great time, awesome service. We're nearing the end of our meal, and I see these kind of guys in their 20s, all of them Hispanic or African-American, run into the restaurant. Now, I wouldn't say, I mean, my, my parents grew up in the South, and so the history of racism is deep, but in my mind, I was like, I'm good with that stuff. I don't have prejudice against them. Like, but they ran in, and immediately I thought, is this a gang? Is, do they have guns? Like, what is about to happen? And they, they sit down, and they kind of demand service. And if you've been to Roos Chris, you know, you don't just walk in, and you have to kind of have a certain level of attire. And, and all those things, they were just breaking all the rules. And in my heart, I just felt prejudice creep up again and again and get higher and turn to racism and turn to bitterness and turn to, they don't belong in here. I belong in here. This, this is my kind of restaurant. I, I deserve a seat here, not them. And I never really noticed that about my own heart. And God confronted me. He said, John, do you, do you love the people I love? Do you look at people the way I see them? Does your heart move with compassion instead of contempt? And in that moment, I would love to say, yes. I saw that group of guys and my heart just over, was overflowing with compassion and I thought the best about them and I gave them the benefit of the doubt, but I didn't do that. I failed. I failed to become obedient to the love that Jesus has for those people that were created in his image, that are different than me, that looked different, that acted different in Ruth's Chris, but are equally as valuable and have as much dignity in the kingdom of God as I do. And it broke me. And I wrestled with, why did I think that? And I think deep down, there's still some work God is doing, that, that there's moments where I'm frustrated that he loves the people that I would prefer to hate, or I would prefer to, to dislike, or I would prefer to discount. And he doesn't do that. He challenges me every single time. So if you're wondering, like, okay, if that's true, and if my heart is a little bit more like Jonah than it is Jesus right now, how would I take the next step in that? Because that's what I'm wondering for myself. But that was just this weekend. I'm trying to think, how do I grow in maturity? How do I learn from that? And how do I, with the partnership of, of God's spirit, how do I really make some transformational moves in my own life? And I think for me, along with probably many of you, it's this simple, inviting someone to Easter. Here's why I say that. You all have an invite card nearby, and I want you to grab it or at least hold it if it's nearby right now. Just grab it, pick it up if you don't have one in your hand already or in your Bible. Now, I think about that card, and I think about the radical potential that maybe for some of you, your risky, bold, obedient step is extending that invitation not to someone who's already on your list who's really, really nice and who will probably say yes, but it may be extending that invitation to someone that you hate. And the thing that breaks inside of you, it only happens when you take a risk. See, Jonah was not willing to risk anything. Jonah risked uh, reputation and everything else with God by going to the opposite corner of the earth. And eventually God uses him, but it's not in the way that he'd hoped. And the story ends with a question, not because Jonah needs to figure out that question, but the writer of Jonah is trying to have you and I wrestle with that question. What do you do when God loves the people you hate. For you, it may be extending that invitation over the next seven days. 65 plus percent of people who are personally invited to a church service will go. Your chances are better at success than failure in that, if I'm doing my stats correctly. And I've been turned away from some invitations to our church before, so I get it. 
but I'm going to do that, not as a step to, to kind of fill some weird obligation within me, but to make sure that my heart is for people who are far from God, to make sure that my heart is moved with compassion with people who are maybe different than me, who talk different than me, who go to different places than me, who maybe think about religion or the world different than me. But here's the truth, friends. The most loving thing you can do for others is introduce them to Jesus. It's the most loving thing you can do. You can be a great parent, you can be a great coworker, you can be a great sibling, but if you leave Jesus out, you haven't fully loved yet. The most loving thing you can do is introduce other people to Jesus. And I get it. In our culture, in our community specifically, everyone kind of knows of Jesus. You may interact with people who are like, yeah, yeah, I, I know Jesus, I got that figured out, and maybe I'll go. But there are some in our community who've never encountered the real Jesus, the Jesus you and I have encountered that deeply changes and transforms friends. I'm not talking about a nice service or a ritual or a religion. I'm talking about a real and deep dynamic relationship with a person who can really make a change in your life. And I believe that's the most loving thing often that we can do is just introduce people to Jesus. And the way you may do that is not to lay out like a full gospel plan when you're sitting at lunch with that person this week. It may be inviting them to be in an environment next weekend in which they can hear the good news of Jesus. And we have two opportunities, not by accident, so that you can have the maximum potential in this room to hear the gospel and to know that Easter is not just for spiritually elite people, not for people who already get it, but for people who don't get it, for people who are far off, just like you and I were at some place and have been brought near by the, the blood and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the hope for us. I thought about this the other day when I was driving down Highway 131. <laughs> Some of you drive that for work every single day. Some of you just drive it uh, for other stuff almost every day. I, I feel like I'm on that highway nearly every day. And I thought about that. I thought about what would it look like in a modern context for Jonah and, and Jesus to overlook our city. And oftentimes I'm just coming over the hill, kind of looking over uh, Grand Rapids. I can see the skyline. And often my reactions in the midst of traffic have a lot more to do with contempt than they do compassion. I think I'm a decent driver. Everyone else just is really bad. Like that's kind of how I view it. Like people that merge, they cut me off, they're speeding or they're in the far left lane and they go too slow. Like that is the worst. 80 should be normal. I'm just letting you all know that 80 should be normal in the left lane. And I thought about that the other day. I was thinking about Jonah. Think about how do I overlook our city? When I drive through downtown Byron Center, do I get annoyed at the way our world is? Do I get annoyed at the homeless person on my exit? Do I get annoyed at the injustice or, or the problems that are facing our community or the city of Grand Rapids or West Michigan or, or our country as a whole? Often it's a lot more driven by contempt than it is by compassion. Jesus has to do the work in me. Imagine a group of people like this in this room who every time they drove down a Highway 131 or wherever their main road is, were moved with compassion, were driven by love. When's the last time you cried for your city? Have you ever wept for someone who is far from God to know him? Maybe that's the work, the deeper work that Jesus wants to do in you this Easter. And it starts by inviting, it starts by introducing people to Jesus one by one. 
So you don't have to change the entire world, but you may change one person's world and that makes a difference. And I think about the opposite could also be true. Friends, we could be around Jesus for the next 10 years and we could exist as a church and still drive down Highway 131s with contempt and, and anger and injustice and, and bitterness in our heart. That, God, why, are, why isn't the world fixed already? God, why aren't people, why don't they know you already? God, why are you asking me to partner with you? And the call again and again is just to look over the city, not like Jonah, but like Jesus. Guys, this is not just a far off story. This story is us. This is us. And it makes a difference how we respond. I'd love to pray for you as we close with this song and ask God to do that work in us this Easter. And whether it's being a part of Good Friday or just Easter this weekend, that he would show us his love for us and others. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We just confess up front, our default is not to be for other people. It's not to be for, especially those who are different, who look different, who talk different, who speak different, who in our eyes are wicked and evil and too far gone. And often we identify much more with a Jonah, but we want to identify with you, Jesus. We want to look over our city and weep with compassion. We want to experience your heart for our workplace, for our school, for our community, for the gas station, for the restaurant. We want to see people and places like you do, but we need your help. So God, I pray that you drive out fear from any of us that is, has a grip on our life that keeps us from stepping out and becoming obedient becoming risky for your kingdom. And I pray that you'd remove fear with your perfect love. We depend on you. We acknowledge that the most loving thing we can do is introduce people to Jesus. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.